Candid Climate Conversations with Abhid Palla. Hello and welcome to Candid Climate Conversations with Abhir, a series of podcasts on climate change, part of the Ramphal Dialogues. I'm your host Abhir and today I'm delighted to have with me Ms. Dia Mirza, with whom I will be talking about climate change. Dia Mirza, of course, needs no introduction, but for those of you who may not know, she's an actress, she's a producer, she's the UN Secretary General's Advocate for the Sustainable Development Goals. She's also the UNEP Goodwill Ambassador, and she's also the Ambassador for the Wildlife Trust of India. The list never ends, and I'm so delighted to have you with us, ma'am. Thank you for having me up here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So I'm going to dive right in. I think the first question, which is a question that I've always had and wanted to know is, how did your journey with climate change start? Because as far as memory serves me, the past seven, eight years, you've been doing so much on climate change. But how did you sort of get into this space? What was your trigger cause, if there was one, which got you involved in climate change and this space in general? So it's a couple of things. One, of course, is um, my love for nature was born from the engagement that I had with nature right through my childhood. I had a beautiful school. We did a lot of our classes under big trees. We spent a lot of time in the neighboring villages working with grassroots communities and, of course, spending a lot more time in nature. I actually got to visit a forest for the first time only when I was 23. But my interactions with nature were many. And also, I think I had the privilege of growing up in a home that had a front yard and a backyard and many big fruit bearing trees. A lot of time again spent just watching poodles play and birds build nests and protecting the little sparrow nests that would get made inside rooms. I think the awareness of climate change was brought into my consciousness while I was in school because I think the first scientific reports that were published and made available to the world were in the year that I was born, 1981 to be specific, and the school that I went to discussed this report a lot. So we would have a very unique assembly, Abhir, where we would discuss current affairs and our teachers would compel us to think and question and ponder on things that were happening, uh, especially global events. So there were many conversations about consumerism, the way people were producing and how that impacted the planet. Our attention was drawn consistently on our own choices and patterns of consumption, so much so that we would feel almost virtuous about saving a pencil right till the end, not allowing it to kind of throw it away before there was just so little left to be able to write with. Uh, just becoming very aware that everything that we use and throw comes from the earth and needs to go back to the earth in a manner or a form that doesn't harm it. And yes, that human activity was changing the temperatures of the planet. I think it was only after I visited a tiger forest in Madhya Pradesh, Pench is where I went, and I understood the compulsions of the forest rangers, what kind of an environment they were working in, how dangerous it was for them to work within that environment. Not just the threat of the natural world or the wild world, but also the human threat uh, from poachers and encroachers and even local villages and stuff. And as I continued to work with or understand what was happening from people like Mr. Bittu Segal, who runs Sanctuary Nature Foundation and is the publisher of Sanctuary Asia and Sanctuary Cub. And people like Vivek Menon, who is the CEO of Wildlife Trust of India, I realized that there was just a very wide gap between what scientists were talking about and what children were also learning about, but had completely kind of been disconnected with and completely ignored by mainstream media. 
And it's around that time that I just decided that if I need to, and I could be a bridge between the science, the policy, and the general public, I would. And that's when I started working with these organizations. This is about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was when I shot this show called Ganga, the Soul of India, where I traveled from the source of the river to see two five states slow travel in India. And I was using this great opportunity to highlight the cultural aspect of the river, even highlight the environmental aspect of the river. So not just the degradation caused by pollution and the fact that it was the second most polluted river in the world, but also the fact that it kind of supported the lives and livelihoods of over 4 million people. And it was while I was doing this show that I saw millions of pieces of plastic in the most pristine environments. And I kept thinking to myself, where is all this going to go? Because these are areas of the country that don't have waste management systems where the locals burn this waste or just let it be. contaminating the air, the soils. It's also kind of entering our food chain. That kind of was a huge trigger. I felt a deeper sense of urgency about bringing awareness than perhaps ever before. And this was about five years ago. So I remember when I had my first meeting with uh, UNEP, Eric Solheim in uh, uh, South Africa, just after I was appointed, I spoke about how we needed to really push hard for a very strong, powerful global campaign on plastic pollution. And he smiled and he said, that's exactly what we're working on next. So I was like, wow, that's timely because... In my consciousness, it's eating into me. So I was hoping that more people are seeing it. I was very grateful that the UN was. So I think it's so interesting how so many things came together. You know, your love for nature in early childhood days. I see that still carries on. Every few days I get to see those lovely butterflies or birds in your Instagram story. And I keep telling my parents, we need to move into a place where there's more greenery. And uh, even the fact that your school played such an integral role in awareness building. Because for me, it was quite interesting because back in class five and six we used to have these environmental awareness workshops which I would do you know as the teachers pet in all other classes but that was the one class where I would be like oh I'll take this summer cup set this is so boring but then one day my teacher caught me and then she sent me back into class and they were talking about air pollution so that's how my journey started because with air pollution and staying in Delhi with the air being as bad as it is that was the first thing and then you know one step led to another I realized that this is so important it's affecting our health and for me the trigger or the turning point was actually when I was in class seven or eight you know NDTV had approached me to talk about air pollution from a youth perspective And what was unfortunate was one of the panelists was one of India's top policy advisors on air pollution and all. And on a camera, it was all good. The minute, you know, before the camera started rolling, I heard him telling the producer of the show, what will he know? For me, that was it. That was the turning point because I said it's generations before ours which have exploited the resources that the planet has for so long. And now we are being left to fight that battle. So it's important that at the very minimum, youth voices have a say. And in an ideal situation, you know, we have ability to sort of make decisions because 20 or 30 years from now, we'll be dealing with perhaps the even more adverse effects of climate change. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more because I, when I think back to my childhood, I can think back to a deeply empathetic, sensitive person that my education had turned me into. And yeah, I mean, I think I've tapped back into that honesty and empathy. But all grown-ups lose their way somewhere along the way. We are so consumed or taken in by, I don't know, our personal agendas, which are usually driven by capitalism because we're chasing some ideal 
of um, material success and it's no fault of ours it's society and it's our families and it's all of that that kind of trains us to think that way but the moment we recognize that all of that adds up to nothing because what transcends everything is the first and the most important identity that we should all be aware of and i feel our education systems should be cultivating a lot more mm-hmm. is the fact on the understanding that before we are anything we are citizens of this planet everything that we have or claim to own comes from the planet and we must respect that for sure that actually is the perfect segue to the next thing i wanted to talk about which is individual action and the role that has you know because as an environmentalist myself especially in the earlier days i would struggle to convince my own friends you know back in school it was these things like oh if just one person is bursting firecrackers what difference does it make you know i'm just one you make all the others stop and i'll also stop those are the kind of arguments my friends would pose to me in school and perhaps i could not tell them this at that point in time because i had not learned but now what i've become aware of and going forward with that firecracker example is that you know if four rulings the ngt's rulings of the supreme court rulings of firecrackers for example are not flouted that's where societal mm-hmm. action is important because when enough individuals make a change that becomes societal action and when there's societal action that shows to our policy makers that this is an issue we care about because yeah. the unfortunate reality is that our policy makers our politicians are probably not going to act until they know that either it's an electoral issue or they know that this is something that the voters want so that for me at least is why individual action is the most important but i wanted to know from your perspective you had done a lot of campaigns especially in 2012 2013 even recently uh, with peta So what do you think is the role of individual action in preserving wildlife and of course India fortunately Touchwood is doing better in terms of numbers of tigers currently but back when you and I had met at you know kids for tigers that time we were really struggling the population was really dwindling so do you think individual action has a role to play in wildlife conservation and to what extent I feel individual action has a huge role to play in wildlife conservation and I do believe that people in the public space when they become aligned with environmental and wildlife campaigns it does propel more action or participation from civil society and that in turn influences policy makers and government when uh, the kids for tigers program was launched it was done because there was this giant push to include and involve young people and uh, when i was in school i was a part of a fundraiser for project tiger but not much happened after that because at that time when i was growing up we didn't have the power of social media and there was so little investment or capital that people were willing to invest in environmental and wildlife campaigns uh, so i i think credit to news channels like ndtv and many others it was only after ndtv did the tigerthon we had mahinder singh dhoni who was the captain of the indian cricket team at the time become the face of this project to save our tigers and uh, it was obviously funded by a very big telecommunications brand kudos to them that they yeah. chose environmental impact and wildlife protection as the theme for their advertising and as early as then as opposed yeah. to going with a regular brand endorser and i think that gave the tiger project and the conservation for tiger a big big push and then with all humility i would i believe that it is kids like you who are a part of the kids for tigers program and um, people like me who probably through my engagement with children across the country and of course the demands that we were making led to a big push i think peta has also played a very big part in helping people understand how bad testing on animals is 
Uh, so there are very powerful campaigns that have been led on that that have helped people refuse products that test on animals or just increase their awareness on what yeah. these products are. I remember one of the campaigns that I was a part of that Peta did was basically these designer brands were using snakeskin to make shoes and belts and accessories, and we needed to highlight how brutal and horrible that was. Yeah. Of course, there's a very big part that these organizations play in increasing and improving people's awareness. But I feel like today, where we're at, especially over the last five years, because I've been looking at data and statistics, the level of participation that has increased by young people across the planet mm-hmm. and the incredible way with which they're using social media to bring this awareness and this knowledge and the science and the data to people is, I think, creating more pressure on governments, policymakers and industry than perhaps ever before. And I think the key and the way forward is to keep that pressure there. And um, so, oh, yeah. so it's very important for us to continually express our concerns and of course celebrate our gains, but our gains are so few. Yeah. In <laughs> contrast to the larger picture, we, we have a very long way to go. Yeah. And of course, you're also an actress, although to me, I always think of you as an environmental ambassador figure. But since you are in the realm of filmmaking as well, what would you say, especially now that, you know, there have been documentaries like Seaspiracy and David Attenborough's documentary. I actually had the privilege of talking to him on BBC where I interviewed him after his documentary at least. And I got an interesting answer. But I want to know from you, do you think that environmental films like this, not just necessarily documentaries, um, make an impact because the, the other side of this debate especially we when we look at movies rather than documentaries is that there's a lot of damage and you know the so to say carbon cost of producing those movies so it's a trade-off but where do you stand on this debate i'm a very big believer in the power of visual communication mm-hmm. and the impact that it can have on the way people perceive yeah. reality think and kind of function And I feel like a very big shift was created in my understanding or my level of consciousness when I watched The Inconvenient Truth really made me reconsider my everything, you know, the way I live and the way I function, the choices I make. I don't believe we would be enjoying the knowledge that young people possess today or and the questions they're asking because mm-hmm. of that knowledge had it not been for this kind of content that has been created. Yeah. And I think if you study human behavioral patterns, and we do that a lot as actors and film producers and writers, we believe that integrating messaging and visually integrated messaging is so critical Mm-hmm. in helping people understand and learn and do better. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually try and implement that even in regular moments of my life. So I was very amused when you were talking about uh, trying to influence your friends to stop bursting crackers and being called crazy or being told that how will one person yeah. influence, influence more people. Uh, it made me remember some of the early actions that I started taking. One of them was to carry my own metal bottle wherever I went. And I would not touch a packaged bottle of water, especially if it was packaged in plastic. And everyone around me thought I was being a pain and I was being difficult and I was being ridiculous. And I was like, no, if you don't get why I'm doing this, that's your problem. It's not mine. I do this because I care. And this is my way of showing I care. And um, my bottle has traveled all over the world. I made it really famous because I created a new hashtag for it called hashtag traveling bottle. And I feel I'm so tickled now, but I'm more than tickled. I'm just so grateful that so many more people 
are carrying their own bottles i definitely agree and it is amusing because i've dealt exactly with the same accusations that oh you're such a pain and then someone really wants to know you they'll call you oh you're so snooty not everyone can afford a metal straw not everyone can afford a bamboo toothbrush i say fine you know not everyone can afford a bamboo toothbrush but arguably people who can't afford it people who are in rural areas are actually doing a much better job i mean they've been using dadoons for the longest time with urbanization and with consumerism as you were saying earlier uh, i don't know i often have believed that the indian lifestyle 100 years ago was a lot more sustainable than it was right That's now not. even go back 50 years yeah 50. i was not that more 20 years ago but, no, but yeah because i'm sure your daddy and your, yeah, your grandparents will be able to tell you even your parents will be able to tell you i'm telling you i was born in the 80s yeah. life was so simple we didn't have half the brands that exist in the country and yeah i'm not propagating socialism i don't oppose being a capitalist world but capitalism cannot be bereft of conscience and it i can be responsible that, and i feel like we've created a world that is capitalist but has a, a capitalism that is has double moral where you're basically telling people as long as i'm providing jobs to a few it's okay if i kill many more yeah. i don't understand how that works but Yeah. No, I mean, there's so many such debates, but I think it's more about influencing people one mind at a time. Another debate which comes up is development versus sustainability. I say, you know, it's not a trade-off. If you're closing a coal-fired power plant, you're going to create 50 more jobs just by having trainers to skill the employees who'd be perhaps shifting to a solar farm. you know in a hypothetical situation so i definitely don't see those kind of trade offs and but since you we were talking about communication and media and we were talking about ndtv as well one aspect which i want your thoughts on is you know the role of the media the media definitely has increased its coverage of climate change and related issues but my sense still is that notwithstanding perhaps one or two tv channels primarily actually the only one you mentioned maybe i'm too ambitious in my aspirations but my dissatisfaction is that particularly whether it's climate change whether it's air pollution because that's the area of my work in you know advocacy is that for air pollution for example you know it's only spoken about in the media from october to february Similarly even with climate change right now we saw these cyclones which happened we see these landslides somewhere there's a drought somewhere there's a flood but the media doesn't always link that to climate change at least those events and similarly the problem with air pollution being that it's seasonal coverage so what would you say is the way to push the media to the next step for example if i see you know the guardian has a dedicated section in the uk towards climate change bbc has that but maybe times of india other such publications hindustan times don't have that yet how do we move in that direction uh one is that we've come not a long way but some way right mm-hmm. the times of india has a special page called evoke which is yeah evoke inspire yeah dedicated to nature and environment but what is treating climate change as the crisis that it is especially not in the media yeah. and i am compelled to believe the reason that is so is because climate change is not an electoral issue and also uh, many of the media houses are run by or sponsored or have some allegiance to the government or the political parties that are in power and that i think in many ways impacts what they are saying to us and those platforms that are independent have been asking the right questions mm-hmm. and have been linking all the natural disasters that they're dealing with with climate change and i don't think we would have had the win with ra if it yeah. was for of course the participation and the incredibly consistent efforts by the local ngos and youth based organizations and maybe i guess there are a lot of celebrity support as well but i think the media also stepped up and really helped it 
Now, interestingly, RA became a political issue, yeah. uh, which is why it got the media attention that it eventually received because yeah. it was used very intelligently by the parties that were coming into power at the time and they made it a political issue. Now, I'm actually very happy about that because apart from Aditya Thakwe and the Shiv Sena, which is the government that is uh, in power right now in Maharashtra, no other political party in the country has made environment and climate strong point of their electoral campaigns. And they have continued to do the work that is needed. Yeah. And they're actually strengthening that narrative. And they're basically saying, listen, climate change is reality. I'm not saying they're perfect. I mean, the coastal road is still being built. It's yeah. a problem. But they're also the same people who are allocating thousands of hectares of land back into mangrove conservation, replanting mangroves. There's a lot of work being done to combat climate change. And I'm speaking completely now from a third party perspective. And I'm thinking, I hope their actions inspire many other political campaigns in the country and climate becomes an electoral subject and i hope people now decide to vote for that political party that invests in health environment and education i hope people understand that all three are completely linked with one another i haven't heard a single political leader in our country acknowledge the fact that covid-19 is it's a because of outcome of our broken relationship with nature yeah and that they are now going to act on rebuilding and strengthening and protecting and securing all our natural systems and our ecosystems but i haven't heard any of the political leadership speak about this yeah. and to me that's a big problem yeah for sure i mean i learned about this correlation again in uk based newspaper you know i was disappointing for me to learn especially after we had the bandhavgarh forest fires all of these forest fires which have been happening recently or even deforestation yeah. campaigns the intensity and the frequency has increased like yeah. never before I'll give you an example. Why is nobody connecting, say, the forest fires with climate change? Exactly. The reason why we are having such frequent and such intense fires is because of climate change. Air, the soil has become drier. There's not enough rain in those regions. I mean, recently I read this horrific report about this old lady and her granddaughter dying in Rajasthan because of the heat. Yeah. Why aren't stories like this being linked to climate change? No, I think I'm so happy there seems to be some kind of telepathy because you touched upon the two points. I mean, I recently gave my first TEDx talk and I was honored that I gave that alongside Captain America, Chris Evans. And I was having this conversation with him right before, you know, our TEDx talk started where I was talking about exactly this, that the fundamental issue has to do with the fact that climate change needs to become a political issue because that's the only way people will start talking about it, whether it's the media, whether it's the politicians themselves. So the first step is to make it an election. electoral issue and then the next step is to make it an issue which has bipartisan support and interestingly a piece of research which i came across recently you know you mentioned the maharashtra government but more than that what was shocking to me was that never before in any political parties at least not in the two largest political parties manifestos were the words climate change used before 2019 it was only 2 years ago and we've known about climate change for what 30 years now more than that probably it's shocking and it's unfortunate but i think the media also needs to probably make climate so, change I, a conversation I, sorry i'm so so respite yeah uh, there's been a 550% surge in india on tweets related to biodiversity in the last That's week fantastic yeah and a 65% increase in digital activism so 
we can hope and pray that that in turn might impact yeah. the way and the choices that media houses are making. But I do know that there is a lot of pressure for countries that have adopted the sustainable development goals, who have signed the Paris Agreement. Or made a net zero commitment. To kind of really step up and do more. And I just hope that the first world or the developed nations that are supposed to fund developing nations to increase their climate action, those funds get released and we receive them. Yeah. Because I feel like, unfortunately, while there may be many more people who understand how important it is to act on climate and do more, we're still hesitant or unwilling to change because there's just so much money involved. We don't have the resources to deal with the losses that we will incur. So I think the only way that real shift will happen is when the money comes in from the developed nations to our countries. And also when we start celebrating and recognizing what a big contribution we are making to the economy by protecting ecology. Because now there is enough data available even to show how much we stand to gain if we work with nature. Absolutely. And the one concluding question I want to ask you is something I know you're very passionate about, and I, of course, am passionate about, which is the role of youth action in climate change. I would say that in the absence of institutional action, whether it's corporates, whether it's governments, all we have in the meantime until that gets going is youth voices, youth action, right? But the challenge, of course, remains that even though we have our own mini Greta Thunbergs who are emerging within India, you know, we have the CPR, we have Aman, we have all of us. How do we make it a movement which gives a forum to all young people equally? I can say with a lot of confidence that the Abhir of Class 6 would not be taken as seriously as the Abhir of right now. And not just because of the age, but, you know, maybe appearing on certain platforms, having certain interactions gives you some legitimacy or some amount of being taken seriously. But that's not true for so many voices, rural youth voices, which don't get those platforms on social media. You and there are so many other such people who are doing a lot to give those voices. But beyond that, do you think there's any other way for young people? What would your advice be to young people to make their campaign, their messaging around climate change stand out and by virtue of that have an impact? Wow. Okay. Um, From what I've learned and I've witnessed with young people who I've worked with, especially over the last few years, because I feel like uh, youth participation has grown exponentially in India and especially so online. Not only have they become very strong advocates for nature and environment and wildlife, but they've also started demanding accountability from their political leadership. Yes. There have been a lot of campaigns that have like directly asked questions of government and questions that are specific to regions, specific to projects. Very pointed. Yeah, very pointed questions that are hard questions that educated adults are not asking of government. I've seen that with air pollution. That's fantastic. Now, there are many organizations like Let Me Breathe, for example, and is being kind of led by a group of very young people who are very enterprising and who are deeply interested and of course are excavating information that most people in civil society would never have access to or possibly never really or push it under the carpet yeah so i learned so much by following these youth group movements and these youth organizations i'm learning every day and i know that there are many organizations that are also empowering these young people by giving them the information they need to have. So it's working. There's like a kind of a quid pro quo happening here. And I also know of people in government who are giving access to information to young people to ask 
political parties the questions that need to be because unfortunately yeah. people who want to do good within government have their hands tied they are unable to do it so they hoping when they have pressure from young people their political leaders will change and it's happened in many cases so i think you guys have it figured out one is that you've realized by working with each other yeah. you are an indomitable force you have realized that there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of i mean when i see young people like disha go to jail and be in prison for 10 days it's unfathomable yeah. but she comes out and she continues her work and she's unstoppable because she knows her truth and she's walking and talking and living her truth no matter how painful it is to her and i think that that in itself is such a great source of inspiration to so many more people because i don't know too many adults who are capable of making uh, such choices yeah i mean so there is political intimidation there is systemic intimidation there's all kinds of intimidation and i feel like we will succeed in doing what we are doing and achieve what we need to achieve by just continuing to walk our truth and speak the truth and not be pushed back of course we each may take a different way or our way of communication may be different like there's some people who use their love to kind of communicate and help increase people's awareness and understanding so be authentic use your voice in the manner that is most honest to you and stick together i don't think there is any power in this world that can stop young people from saying their truth so long as they can say it I think those are golden words and that's a lot of food for thought for all our listeners and golden words of advice. I think that's the perfect concluding point. So thank you so much for doing this ma'am and um to all our listeners out there do follow our Instagram at rate candid climate conversations to stay updated with what's happening on the podcast. You can also find updates on the Ramphal Institute's LinkedIn and Facebook pages. That's all for now. Stay safe and stay tuned to Candid Climate Conversations with Abhir. Thank you. 